Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Some people end up with a status of fame that they would rather not have chosen. On May 9th, 1947, a young boy died in the electric chair and took with him a level of fame and notoriety I can imagine he would have loved to go without. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the 1940s, either 1944 or 1945, depending on the source, Andrew Thomas, a Cajun pharmacy owner in St. Martinville, Louisiana, was shot dead while asleep in his bed in the middle of the night. Well-liked and well-respected, the police worked hard to try and find out who could have possibly wanted Andrew dead. But as months passed, the case started to grow cold and investigators started to grow desperate. That was until about nine months later when 16-year-old Willie Francis 
was detained in Texas due to his proximity to a completely unrelated drug crime. With him, according to police, was a wallet belonging to Andrew Thomas. So they questioned the boy, who by now had learned once worked for Mr. Thomas. At first, Willie named several others in connection to the murder. But as the interrogation dragged on, behind closed doors and with no lawyers, Willie apparently confessed to the murder, writing, quote, it was a secret about me and him. At the time, no one knew what this cryptic statement meant. But those who later studied the case theorized that a much older boss sexually assaulted his young employee. Willie later directed the police to where he disposed of the holster used to carry the murder weapon, as the gun had already been found at the scene when Andrew's body was discovered. But the odd thing was, the gun belonged not to the 16-year-old boy, but to the deputy sheriff at the time, who had once threatened Andrew Thomas. Mysteriously, the gun the bullets, and Andrew's actual body were lost before Willie's trial even began, all supposedly lost while en route to the FBI for analysis. Three weeks after his arrest, Willie found himself in front of an all-white grand jury. He pleaded not guilty, but almost immediately, his lawyers, also white, attempted to reverse his plea and then refused altogether to make an opening statement or cross-examine any of the witnesses. Almost all of the prosecution's case rested on Willie's supposed confession, which, when looked at years later, scholars said it carried a lot of language that was common for policemen, not that of a young black teenager. There was also witnesses who claimed to see a car pulling out of Andrew's driveway just after hearing the gunshot a car that unlikely belonged to a poor teen in the South, especially since Willie couldn't even drive. And the wallet that was supposedly found in his possession wasn't even brought up at the trial, leading many to doubt it ever even existed. This, coupled with the ownership of the gun and its whereabouts, would have, in modern times, been more than enough to end the trial against Willie and send him on his way. But this was not the modern day. Two days after the trial began, Willie Francis was convicted of murder and sentenced to death despite being underage. On May 3, 1946, Willie was led to the electric chair known as Gruesome Gertie. When the leather hood was placed over his head, Willie began screaming, take this off, I can't breathe. Screams he continued to make as the electric shocks began. When someone in the room shouted back, you're not supposed to breathe, He insisted, I am not dying. Willie was right. Despite the intense shocks that were coursing through his body, Willie Francis was somehow still alive. An investigation began and it was found that Gruesome Gertie was a portable electric chair that had to be set up with each use. On this particular day, she was set up by a Captain Edward Foster, a prison officer, and Vincent Venezia, an inmate with trustee status. In the two days leading up to the execution, Edward and Vincent drank themselves silly. So when they set up the chair reeking of whiskey, they didn't properly ground the wires to the electric generator outside of the prison. While many would assume this got Willie off the hook, the state simply stated that they would try again at a later date. But as they waited for that day to come, Americans from all over of different classes, races, and cultures began writing letters and news articles condemning Louisiana for what they were about to do. In their mind, Willie was alive because of a divine intervention, that by trying to kill him for a second time, 
they were directly going against God. Not just that, but a lot of people were now aware of his trial and thought there was a pretty solid chance they were sending an innocent boy to the grave. Enter Bertrand de Blanc, a Cajun lawyer who had just returned from World War II and was ready to fight for Willie Francis. A man who, despite being the late Andrew Thomas's best friend, knew this boy's trial was anything but fair. He argued the case all the way to the United States Supreme Court, where it caused a major rift between the justices and cited violations of equal protection, double jeopardy, and cruel and unusual punishment. Despite his fervor, the Supreme Court rejected the appeal to a 5-4 to four vote. And despite casting the fifth and deciding vote, Justice Felix Frankfurter began an unheard of behind the scenes campaign to commute Willie's sentence, even contacting friends in Louisiana's legal community to try and help. But despite this and the Supreme Court's urging to bring back the case and try again, Willie was too exhausted. Tired of putting his family in the middle of a very messy legal issue, Willie Francis refused another appeal and awaited his execution. He knew he was innocent, but was simply too tired and too afraid to keep fighting. On May 9th, 1947, a little over a year after his first brush with death, Willie Francis was brought back to the electric chair where he took his last breath. Years later, and with the benefit of hindsight, many now know Willie was innocent. Not just that, but that others knew the real killer's identity, but kept it a secret. In 1993, Ernest Gaines wrote a book that many of us read while we sat in our high school English classes. A Lesson Before Dying told the tragic story of a boy who would go down in history as the first known incident of a failed execution by electrocution in the United States. A boy who died before the world could catch up and agree on his innocence. A boy who was totally powerless simply because of his age and the color of his skin. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on May 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>